Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. So we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 21. We read this. And he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of the pov- her poverty has put in all the livelihood that she has. So this four-verse segment of topic sets the stage for the temple, the conversation about the temple, and it's worth noting that she put in all that she had the fullness of what she had. And Jesus drew that distinction. We always say it's about giving, that God looks at the heart. It's never about the money or even the time or the energy. It's the heart and the motives. And God looks at that and he knows that, uh, that she was all in and she's commended for being all in. And she sets up the stage for verse five where we read on now. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mount of wisdom and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by your parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. Now, Again, I mentioned this is going to the context of the end of the age. If we just go a little farther in the text, we have things describing about the end for Jerusalem and the things that announce the Lord's return, and we'll cover that more in detail next week. When we break down the Olivet Discord, and particularly the direction that comes from Luke's gospel on it, you know, these two questions come up, when will these things be, and what will the signs be? And he'll address these things. But this first part of Scripture is basically considered a description of this age as we know it. Now, as we go through this text and compare it next week with Matthew and other stuff, we will see that Jerusalem was destroyed. And if you understand 
the past destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 under Titus and the 12th Roman Legion. But then you harmonize the rest of Scripture. We know that, and the temple was destroyed when Jerusalem was overrun. We know that Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, said that over a million Jews died when the Roman Legion, the 12th Roman Legion, destroyed them in their resistance between 66 and 70 AD. And they were scattered, and over 100,000 went into slavery and dispersion. And Masada, the famous story of Masada, was all at that same time. And against all odds, the Jews came back, as we know, in recent times and became their own nation in 1948. And the UN recognized that. And eventually, they captured Jerusalem in the Six-Day War. And there are the Western Walls, the, the holiest place for Jews to worship of the Jewish faith, right beneath the Dome of the Rock, the Elas Mosque. And that 24 acres controlled by the Palestinian Authority above them. And that's the kind of focal point of the whole world right now there in Jerusalem. And all roads do lead to Jerusalem. And the prophetic timetable, things concerning the return of the Lord, revolve around Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the main player. But there was a first temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, 586 B.C. And then they rebuilt that temple under Ezra when the captives came back from Babylon. And then that temple was the one destroyed, like Christ said, Jesus said, here it would be destroyed. It was destroyed. And there is a third temple. And we know that there is the teaching of a third temple. And that's why when you look at the prophetic timetable for the return of the Lord, when people ask like, well, how do we know the Lord's coming back? Or what are some of the signs that we'll see? There is going to be a third temple. And we understand that. In fact, my wife, when she wasn't my wife, the first conversation I ever had with her there at community college, she asked me, what do you think the world's coming to? Because I was very bold in my faith in that college class, and it was a group discussion class. And I said, Jesus Christ is coming back. It's exactly what I said. And these people kind of dissipated that were gathered around. And she said, well, why do you believe that? And one of the things I said is that Israel is in the land, and they're going to rebuild a temple. So I use it as one of my three points uh, of the Lord's return. I also used uh, a cautious society and a revived Europe. This was 1987. These are the three things I share with her. Europe's revision, that the Antichrist will come from Europe, that we're moving toward a cautious society, an all-controlling cautious society, and uh, that Israel is a nation against all odds after being dispersed for 2,000 years, and they're going to rebuild the temple. Having been to Israel and been to Jerusalem back in the 90s, they have the Temple Institute there, and there's a great push to build the third temple. When John wrote the book Revelation under the inspiration of Holy Spirit, he described a third temple and his being you know, outcast and exiled on Patmos is after the destruction of the first temple and he describes a third temple. So we can harmonize scripture and we also know in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul the apostle talks about the Antichrist going into the temple and part of a great deception and bringing on the end of the age, and Christ coming and returning. So we know that when Rome destroyed the, the second temple in 70 AD, that didn't, Jesus didn't come back. So we know that that's speaking future tense as well, of a third temple being built. And again, the Orthodox Jews are very adamant and serious and determined to build a third temple. And many people speculate that when the Antichrist comes to power, the way that he'll really come to power as a, as a one ruling dictatorship of the planet in a socialistic type of environment, controlling everything, controlling all commerce, all food, all economy, is that he will reconcile a false peace with the world religions, which are symbolically represented in Jerusalem between Christianity 
and Judaism and Islam, the monotheistic religions. And many people believe he's going to do that. And the way he's going to do that is finding a way that the Jews can build their temple on what is the Elas Mosque area, on the upper above the, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall there, possibly the, where the Dome of the Tablets and the Dome of Spirits used to be, that somewhere out there, that temple is going to be rebuilt somehow, some way. And it seems logical that it could go. It doesn't have to go that way, but it could go that way. Because the Antichrist is going to go in that temple and claim to be God halfway through what's known as the Great Tribulation period, a seven-year period after the church is caught up to be a Jesus. And that's got to be there. So what's your main point, Joy? The main point is there's going to be a third temple. And there's a lot of very zealous, serious religious Jews who want to build that temple right now, today. And they wake up. There are people that wake up in Jerusalem, lots of them, who are deeply religious about their Judaism. And they live for one reason, to see the temple rebuilt on the Temple Mount, that the Jews would restore the animal sacrificial system that has been denied to them since Titus destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. So when we consider that, that's the the big panoramic picture of end times, that that temple is going to be rebuilt. But we know that that second temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and we know that there's things here described in this text that happened to the Jewish believers in the early church prior to and during the destruction of the the second temple. But we also know this describes things not just that we'd see in the book of Acts or even like the first generation after the book of Acts, this describes things really that we see in church history. And that's why most Bible commentators would describe this as a description of the church age, what we just read tonight. That right now there's persecution going on in many countries in the world right now. There are many, uh, there are many Christians who have political laws against them that persecute them by law. And there are many Christians who have social Uh, persecution from family and friends based upon the society, not necessarily the laws, or it could be the two for one where it's both. Obviously, someone like Saudi Arabia would be a good example where it would be both. Laws against the proclamation of Christianity, and there would be persecution from the government, and then there would also be, uh, within the culture, a lot of persecution from family if you became a Christian, particularly in Saudi Arabia. It's just a Good example to use. A lot of other countries would be the same way, uh, particularly in the Middle East under you know Muslim or even uh, Islam, strong Islamic influence and even Sharia law influences of the Muslims according to their faith, which is not tolerant of any other faith. So obviously Christianity is tolerant of, of all faiths in the sense that it allows our, the marketplace of thought. The, the gospel will speak for itself and can stand against any worldview and philosophy and religion on its own merit. But the world religions that seek to ruled by authoritarian or totalitarian means, they are intolerant of other thoughts that can be compared for a person to decide is this true or not. So like when Paul's preaching in Mars Hill, he's just presenting the gospel in Acts 17 as this is the gospel and this is what God's done. And so the philosopher's like, well, we reject that or hmm, that's interesting or like we believe that. So when we come to this passage, it's not just what, because it's very Jewish in its context, you can see that, But we know that these are things that have gone on throughout the 2,000 years of church history, and these are things that will go on throughout church history. So keep that in mind as we look at this passage. Now, when you read about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and pestilence, again, these are things that have been throughout the age. I mean, these are, I mean, there's always been earthquakes, there's always been wars, there's always been pestilence, okay? So that's a fact. And we could 
you know, Hal Lindsey made very famous the late great planet Earth, his book in the 70s, where he built a case for an increase of these things. And I certainly wouldn't refute that because when you harmonize this with Matthew, it does um, get stronger. In other words, these things that have been part of our age as we know them, they will increase down the stretch. That is clearly implied in the scripture. Um, but there's a balance on that and it's worth considering. So think about this. When we, when we think about what we can learn from this passage in the church age where there is hostility and kingdoms in conflict, we look at verse 8 with that context I just gave you. We look at verse 8 and Jesus says, take heed that you not be deceived. One thing that is absolutely clear about the end of the age is a great deception upon humanity. A great deception upon the Jewish people concerning their Messiah, and a great deception of false religion, false teaching, and lying signs and wonders. So there's always been Antichrist, Antichrist teachings. John the Apostle references them in 1 John, and they're also referenced in other places. The spirit of Antichrist. There's there's always been people who take the pure gospel of Jesus Christ and corrupt it, and thereby corrupting Jesus and the means of salvation through Jesus. They change who Jesus is. They change his work. They change his character, and they change his message and his position and his promises. That's been going on from the first generation of the church as well, and of course, it goes on today in a very profound way. And I do believe, without a doubt, the Spirit expressly says in the New Testament that falsehood will increase in the last days. What that looks like, you know, we live in a, a time of great falsehood, including in the, within the churches of our country and churches worldwide. But is it the end of the age? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But what we do know is deception concerning Jesus Christ is a huge threat to the church of Jesus Christ in every generation. And it's a huge threat to us. I find it very interesting reading this week, you know, because I say like how many mainstream denominations, they deny the person of Jesus Christ. They deny his virgin birth, his position as God. They deny the purpose of his death, burial, and resurrection. They deny his resurrection. They deny his position at the right hand of the Father. They deny his promises that he's coming back. They deny his character, that God is light and him is no darkness at all. And they, they create a Jesus of their own conception who's corrupt and, and, and carnal like they are. And they ascribe carnal behavior to Christ, that somehow he's the reason that people are carnal, but it's not true. And I found it so interesting that just this week we saw that the Church of England, the Anglican Church, they appointed their emissary to the Vatican, and he's renowned for a doctrine that he believes or rejects. He rejects the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you think, like, you think, like, Joey, why do you bring up negative stuff? Well, you know, uh, cancer doctors bring up negative stuff. You know, especially when you're stage one, so they can help you, like, deal with it. There are negative realities in human behavior. There are sociopaths and psychopaths and narcissistic people and evil criminals in our society as well. And just because we want to pretend they're not there doesn't mean they're not there. It doesn't mean they're not plotting evil or trying to do destructive things to innocent people like you and me in this facility tonight. There are many unpleasant truths. The moment you give your life to Christ, you just enter the spiritual battle where you're no longer deceived by the devil and a captive of the devil, but you are saved by grace. You're a new creation, and now you're called to put on the armor of God and go forward in God's will, and you find out very quickly the reality of Jesus by the reality of the devil trying to pose you in living for Jesus. And many of us, you just immediately realize, like, wow, why is everything going crazy when you give life to Christ? And you realize how real the devil is because the veil's lifted 
and we see the truth, and now we're in that battle. And there are unpleasant truths. And it's an unpleasant truth that's as crazy as it sounds when people consider the Catholic Church leads a billion people on the planet. There's a billion people that ascribe to Catholicism, that form of Christianity, that it's crazy to think the Church of England and all of its history for 400 plus years. And, you know, remember Whitfield, Wesley, so many great men and women of God came out of the Anglican Church and even still exist to this day in the Church of England, Episcopalian here in America or Anglican. But isn't it crazy to think that the person that the, the Church of England would choose. Now, the, the boss for the Anglican Church in America does not believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and does not believe that you're perishing without faith in Jesus Christ. She came out in an interview a couple of years ago and said that. So, you know, there's millions of Americans that go to Episcopalian and Anglican churches. Now, they may not all believe what she believes, but their leader doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. So she renounces John 14, 6, Acts 4, 12, and other passages. That's a reality tonight that faces us as believers in the year of our Lord, 2019. It's just, it is what it is. False Christ. It's, it's radical to think because, see, the leader of the Anglican Church in America, that woman, I don't, even, I don't even know her name. It doesn't matter. She does not believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. That means she has a different Jesus than the Jesus that he declared who he is in the Gospel of John. And now the Anglican Church has sent their emissary to the Vatican, which is considered a country for, you know, the Catholics there. But a lot of the world looks at them as an example of Christianity. And the representative for the Church of England politically and spiritually does not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine having lunch with the Pope? I'm serious. And I sure hope the Pope believes in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he should. Don't ever sit in a church where the pastor and the ministers do not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't ever submit yourself to that authority because that is a great deception. And Jesus warned about deception concerning his person, not just in all ages, but particularly in the end of the age. Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God. He's the son of man. He is born of the Virgin Mary. He lived the perfect sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the grave on the third day, according to the scriptures, a physical resurrection in his glorified body. That is why the tomb is empty, and he appeared to many, as we know. We'll be celebrating Easter in just a few months here. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He ever lives to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father, and he has promised that as he went, he shall return, and he will come in full glory to establish the kingdom age as prophesied in the Old Testament, in the law and the Psalms, and to fulfill all those promises, and he will restore the lost glory from the dawn of creation, from the fall of Adam and Eve, who are literal people in a young earth. And that's who Jesus is. And not only that, he's the one that holds the whole universe together. He's not a moral teacher or some religious leader. No other religious leaders ever claimed to be sinless, and none of them ever claimed to be the resurrection, and none of them left their tomb in a glorified body. And that's why Billy Graham used to say, Jesus Christ is either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord, and you better decide. Because how you decide will shape your worldview. And it's one thing for your professors to be under deception who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is quite another for people who claim to serve Jesus in a house of God to reject who he is, his person, and his place. He is Lord of all, and he's coming in revelation to establish his kingdom. He's going to split the Mount of Olives and restore a lost glory. And that is the Jesus we praise here tonight when Jack's singing those songs. That is the correct Jesus. 
the eternal Son of God. As Hebrews said, what's the main point? We ever have a high priest that intercedes for us in every time of need. And Christ died once for all. That's the right Jesus. And that's the beauty and the glory of us standing and singing worship songs when we're gathered here tonight. We're worshiping Jesus as he revealed himself to the apostles in the apostles' doctrine as preserved for us in the Holy Scriptures, both the New and Old Testament. Praise the Lord. And he inhabits the praises of his people, and he's meant to be the preeminent one in his church. We worship Jesus. I feel bad for people that choose to be in denominations and movements where their leaders reject the historical biblical Jesus. And there are good people in those churches. And I mentioned this recently. In the book of Revelation, the seven churches that Jesus writes to, even in really bad churches, he commends people that are holding fast to the faith. So I'm not making an attack upon individuals in a church, but I definitely have the courage, and it doesn't take much, to call out religious leaders who claim to know Jesus and reject his person, his work, and his physical resurrection. Deception concerning the work of Christ and the person of Christ is the number one warning for the end of the age across the board by Jesus Christ in the Leave It Discord. So that's the first thing we need to realize, the right Jesus at all times. Beware of people that have a false Jesus. The cults, anyone else, liberal Protestantism, uh, even if mainstream Catholics went bad, it would just be, give me Jesus. We're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and that is Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man. He's, he's God. And just time and time again, the Bible warns. And one last thing, in 2 Thessalonians, the Bible tells us, chapter 2, that God will give people over to a great deception for having rejected the truth of his Son. So during that seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation period, when Jesus comes for his church and the church is taken out, people are left behind You think, well, we'll just get saved. Actually, they won't because they'll be under a delusion to believe the lie, and God will allow them to believe the lie of the great deception because they chose not to believe the truth. And even if people seem good and benevolent and compassionate, great, we love that. Please dig more wells. We appreciate that. But the Bible tells us that, that Satan dis, dis, disguises himself and transforms himself as an angel of light to deceive people, and even, if possible, the very elect. So we need to just... We cannot underestimate how important Jesus being the cornerstone of our faith, our life, and our church is. He said it. He said, take heed that you not be deceived concerning his name and his person. The second thing we see is persecution for identifying with Jesus Christ. This is an unpleasant topic. We don't like it. We'll skip the wars and all that kind of stuff, and we'll just get right to the content of what's really the heart of this passage of Scripture. As he says that, verse 12, but before all these things... They will lay hands on you and persecute you. And you'll be delivered up to synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Okay, so, and then he said in verse 16, you'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Which happens again, like in a lot of the persecuted countries, China, Indonesia, these places, people betray their family members. People become to Christ in the village, in Hindu villages in India, and they're renounced. They're ostracized from their family. They can't go to the village well. They're just completely ostracized. You look right now in Iraq and all those Christians that were displaced in um, Mosul and just all, all, those, all those places. When ISIS came in and they displaced uh, entire cities that had, you know, Iraq had a lot of Christians, uh, Coptic Christians, East, you know, like Egyptian Orthodox and so on and so forth. Uh, they were displaced and they were murdered. 
They were maimed. They were sold into slavery. A lot of these Christians, you know, that famous, you know, the, the symbol of Nazarene that the ISIS would put on the doors, that just, ah, uh, and, you know, it's like, this is reality. And we've got friends like Victor Marks, Danny Barger, and other people like that. They go into these kind, like areas like Iraq, and they're trying to rebuild the lives of Christians who have lost everything. I mean, they've lost their homes. They've lost loved ones. It's been horrible. They've lost limbs. They've been tortured. They, they've been scarred by, with great psychological scars. And praise God that we, our country does good things to even allow people like that to go in those countries and try and help people rebuild their lives. It's great suffering for the name of Jesus Christ in a good part of the world. Now, people make fun of us. The, the leftists make fun of us. The liberals make fun of us. And they, they think they're the, you know, end all. It doesn't matter what people think. They come and go. Every generation comes and goes. Life is short. Solomon said it's a vapor. James says it's a vapor. Fear God, not men. In Matthew 10, Jesus talked about not fearing man, but to fear God. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.